Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz, editor-at-large for MMM, and welcome to the MMM podcast. Given the impact of Alzheimer's disease on millions of people around the world and its extremely heavy cost to society, the approval of a product, a first product, that can deliver meaningful clinical and functional value to these patients would have multi-billion dollar commercial potential. With that backdrop in mind, last month was an important one for Alzheimer's disease drug development. Earlier in the month, we saw Eli Lilly top line promising data for its monoclonal antibody in Alzheimer's. And just last week saw the FDA delay a decision on Biogen's lead Alzheimer's candidate. Both of these news items raised more questions than they answered. They also prompted a fair bit of speculation, even some excitement from the analyst community about the future of Alzheimer's disease treatment. To help marketers digest what it all means, I'm joined by my special guests, Dr. Leon Henderson McLennan. Dr. Henderson McLennan is co-founder, principal, and medical advisor for InThought Research, one of the leading industry analyst firms whose research on the drug pipeline we at MMM have come to really value. In fact, besides being an internist and clinical geneticist, another of Dr. Henderson McLennan's claims to fame has been his regular appearances over the years in the annual MMM Pipeline Report, which continues to be one of our best read pieces of content. Welcome, Leon, to the MMM Podcast. Thank you very much, Mark. It's uh, great to be here. Absolutely. And uh, we'll get to the uh, interview with Leon in a moment. First, just a couple of housekeeping items, as we usually do. The brand has a number of initiatives going on, but just to highlight a few of the ones that are most near term, MMM's Move Together event, uh, which uh, highlights the importance of tending to one's physical well-being, is coming up February 8th to the 12th. So please be sure to register for this year's event. Excuse me. We're asking participants to track their activities and collectively virtually circle the U.S., totaling a 2 million footprints, if you will. Points earned translate into dollars with proceeds going to a charity called World Central Kitchen, which addresses food insecurity around the world. Also, MMM has a racial equity summit coming up a week from now, February 10th, and I'm getting to moderate a panel called the Agency Diversity Conundrum, during which I'll speak with three agency-based marketers about their experiences creating diverse campaigns for pharma clients and why diversity of representation continues to be an issue for medical marketing firms. Then just a few of our award programs, the MMN and Pinnacle Awards uh, are open for nominations with the first deadline coming up uh, February 10. Grand Film Awards open for nominations, first deadline on that is February 18th. And the MMM Awards uh, is open for nominations and that first deadline is not coming up until April 21. Okay, back to the interview with Leon. Um, So let's just run through the major events of the last few weeks vis-a-vis neuroscience research, if you don't mind. First, Eli Lilly top line what appeared to be positive phase two data for its potential Alzheimer's drug, Denonimab. Analysts said the data looked solid and lined up with a best case scenario that Denonimab lowered plaque robustly, although there were some issues with fluid buildup in the brain. So from a safety and efficacy point of view, uh, people first want to know if this drug is shaping up to be approvable. Leon, what do you think? Yeah, Mark, I um, think that the Lilly data are good shaping up as if it will advance to pivotal trials. And I'm reminded that this is in early uh, symptomatic patients. And at 76 weeks, we saw a statistically significant slowing of uh, decline by 32% versus placebo. So I'm looking for basically three things when more mature data are presented at a future Congress. One is dose response. Two is whether the antibody that um, targets this pyroglutamate modified A-beta variant lowers existing plaque, and then we could 
begin to correlate this uh, putative mechanism of action to these outcomes via a clear amyloid lowering intermediate. And you mentioned the, uh, the fluid in the brain. We know that the phase one trial had about a 27% rate of REA-E in those recipients. So we'd like to see something on that order in this trial as well. Those are the key points that you know, I'll want to uh, take a look at when we look at the mature data that's promised. So we should mention that that these data were just announced in, in a press release. Uh, but they have yet to be peer reviewed, and you know, for Lilly, this validates years of R and D efforts in Alzheimer's. Some are even calling denonimab essentially solanezumab 2.0, referring to an earlier uh, plaque busting drug that the company had to abandon for lack of efficacy, I believe. But in, in a larger sense, then. How does this trial help us answer the question whether plaque reduction truly leads to cognitive benefit? That's a great question, Mark. And and that's why I think um, looking at the mature data when it comes out will be the most important determinant of whether we can really say that it's by that mechanism of action that these results are indeed being seen. If this agent consistently correlates these biologic intermediates, biomarkers, if you will, to standard and even novel measures of cognitive and perhaps functional prowess, then you've got a winner. We'll see it in uh, the mature data here, and then most likely in a pair of you know, well-designed pivotal trials. It certainly adds to the body of evidence uh, suggesting that targeting amyloid with the right antibody to get to the plaque and remove the plaque could be the right approach. There are mechanism of action differences, or you know, maybe that's not the best way of putting it, but in terms of how denonimab is thought to seize the plaque, so to speak, you know, targeting plaque in a different way than, say, Biogen's uh, plaque-busting drug, aducanumab, which, which binds to the plaque uh, and, and you know, by targeting it removes amyloid in the brain, uh, but both seem to be plaque-clearing drugs. But speaking of Biogen trial matters because the Lilly data will likely have some bearing on how FDA views the aducanumab regulatory application that sits before it. And given this is an aducanumab-like product, do you see Lilly as a derivative or potential read across to Biogen's pending aducanumab decision and in what way? Yeah, I think um, all of these matters, they're at once related and not related. So, I mean, they're related in the sense that, you know, the more that biology is tied to both meaningful and even superfluous clinical results, the more we understand and can determine the relevance of how these putative mechanisms influence matters clinically. On the other hand, the read across is also limited in as much as, of course, you know, the Biogen portfolio is at a more advanced stage of both data maturity from clinical trial navigation and regulatory consideration. So the bar is considerably higher um, right now for Biogen in this respect. But both methods of approaching amyloid plaque appear to be at the root of at least a proportion of clinical benefit. Right. So the key word being there, uh, a proportion of clinical benefit, you know, this being a primary care disease uh, affecting millions of people, you know, versus say a rare disease affecting several hundred or several thousand. The bar is higher, but given what we've seen, modest benefits may be the order of the day here. Yeah, and and as we progress, I think in Alzheimer's disease, as has been the case in other very large-scale chronic diseases, we make incremental 
strides. So it is to be expected that increasing benefit over time will lead to you know, population benefit uh, as time progresses in incremental fashion. And once we hit that threshold in clinical trials, we think that uh, it'll be readily seen in not only important p-values that can be monitored and uh, set the stage for approval, but also in magnitude of effect. We'll get better as time goes on. We have gotten better. We just haven't hit that threshold where we have an approved drug. Okay, now let's talk about Biogen here. Later in the month, as, as I said, Biogen, which had been expecting the FDA to decide on its potential Alzheimer's disease drug, aducanumab, by March 7, announced a three-month delay of that review as additional analyses were submitted to the agency following an information request. And this week on their fourth quarter earnings call, Biogen management declined to provide any additional color on the nature of the FDA's request, but it did say it was setting aside $600 million as it gears up to launch aducanumab. That's despite controversial results from clinical testing and a decidedly negative review from an FDA adcom panel back in November. Obviously, the big question is, what do these analyses show? Of course, we don't know for sure, but taking a step back, I thought that at the November 6 FDA advisory committee meeting, Biogen had already put its best foot forward after months of analysis and preparation work. What could this new information Biogen has provided possibly be, and how might it support the case for approval or weaken it? Wow, isn't that the uh, elephant in the room, Mark? One route I've postulated is some sort of more advanced convincing modeling that maybe better shows dose response, given that the sponsor has been harping on the idea that its study 301 essentially was unable to demonstrate a drug advantage that really exists. Patients with the opportunity for full 10 mg per kg dosing had results similar to those in study 302. So dose response would be the first route. The second route I also have to wonder about is whether long-term extension data from both trials could be brought to bear. And the third route, which could also relate to the first, actually, that's come to mind because of Biogen's recent presentations, is modeling slash statistical analysis that accounts for what the company emphasizes was premature phase three termination. Suffice it to say that there may be ways to model likely outcomes based on trends observed, not only in terms of dose response and projection of the outcomes of would-be 10 mg per kid recipients, but also following through time those who have already received such optimal dosing. Both sorts of um, simulations, statistical simulations, um, could be powerful, potentially persuasive tools. And that's an, an important point because I believe the, the data that the company submitted uh, involved the patients being given the highest dose of the drug, right? That's right. And, you know, it seems to be, there seems to be a case to be made for people escalating to that dose faring a lot better than people who were unable to do so. So if we could model what would happen with those people unable to be escalated, we may not get answers, but at least a reasonable projection that can be taken into consideration. Obviously, we're dealing with a high-risk, uncertain situation over the next few months, uh, but one that has a lot of upside. Can you kind of lay out the, the bull case and, and the bear case uh, for our listeners? Sure. The bulls will say that, you know, this time, 
gives the sponsor time to deploy all these potentially persuasive modeling and statistical tools, which are actually well accepted in many avenues of translational science and medicine. Uh, you know, gives them time to amplify the case for beginning to meet this massive unmet need and be more assured that we're not putting this vulnerable population at greater risk at this crucial time. Uh, but the bearers, on the other hand, will say, we don't need time to figure out that 301, a rigorous, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, the gold standard of studies, failed. The shortcomings we see in getting folks up to dosing are the shortcomings we'll see in the real world, after all. Um, and we can't subject a population to the whimsy of mere modeling. Um, we may as well eliminate phase three trials, you know. The, uh, the bears would say. Plus, you know, the, the experts, the leading neurologists have spoken. The ADCOM meeting, that uh, was quite unfavorable to the candidate. Right, right. And it, it revealed quite a, a schism, if you will, inside the agency uh, in terms mm-hmm. of um, you know, how to interpret the data. But the outcome, as you said, was, was decidedly negative. If one was expecting a rejection uh, of the drug on March 7, then perhaps this is good news. But if you were thinking that um, it could be approved, then this is not necessarily uh, a positive. But do you think extenuating circumstances had anything to do with it? You know, I've seen some speculation that the FDA's delay allows the COVID pandemic to come under better control and, you know, before sending elderly patients into the healthcare system uh, as they would if it were approved, you know, to, to seek to begin therapy for their Alzheimer's disease. Or alternatively, that the delay gives the new FDA commissioner a little time to ruminate over it before deciding on what is a very high-profile drug. Yeah, those are those are interesting uh, pieces of speculation, and I think you know transitioning to the new commissioner may have played a greater role than seeing how COVID plays out. I think I'll leave it there. Speaking of which, uh, you know, do you think the incoming commissioner Janet Woodcock bodes any better than the former one, Stephen Hahn, considering uh, Woodcock's experience with approving Exondus Fifty One, which is another. Uh, neuroscience uh, med for Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. Yeah, that's intriguing, Mark. Um, I'd say now both uh, have actually had experience with drugs of questionable net benefit given Han's experience uh, in the COVID space. But of course, you know, Janet Woodcock's experience is with uh, full-scale approval, and and perhaps that uh, does make a difference. What if I asked you to call the outcome on aducanumab? What, What would you say? (laughs) <laughs> I'll just say that a lot of people, a lot of stakeholders need greater convincing. Let's see what emerges from the uh, extra three months. I, it could go either way. Fair enough. Okay. Let's shift gears again and talk about the potential launch for a moment. You know, obviously, you know, Biogen has to, to gear up for a potential launch. Um, and uh, they were asked about the launch sequence uh, on the earnings call this week. And Biogen CEO, uh, Michael Venatsis, when he was asked about that, said that uh, they're planning to start with several hundred high-volume Alzheimer's centers. He also mentioned that there is an amyloid beta confirmation. Most probably that will have to be done. C- can you explain how that confirmatory testing is done? That is an interesting question. I was just looking over um, some of that material from, from that presentation. And at least in the first year of investigation in aducanumab pivotal trials, there were at least six imaging opportunities for individuals. Um, and at that stage, it was typically MRI. So the discussion you were mentioning, there was a suggestion that they're in discussion with the FDA about 
just how that would play out in the real world. I have a difficult time imagining um, certainly six MRIs or PET scans or a combination of both in, in the first year in, in real patients. And I was hard pressed to recall a similar monitoring program where it involved such uh, technology, um, such large scale, and in many places, technology of limited availability. So I think there, that, that monitoring in the real world is difficult. I would say it's appropriate, certainly, to start in large tertiary centers where one could better monitor the patients, even if it's just one or two images per year. Uh, you would be more assured of getting not only the care that's commensurate with how things looked in clinical investigation, but also this would help generate phase four or post-marketing data um, that we could use to understand how real-world net benefit is being achieved. It's something that I don't think I've taken as much time to uh, muse about as as I should, and that discussion, I should say, uh, shed more light on it than uh, in the past. Okay, I won't ask you know too too much on, on that, but just you know, as a as a basic question, just because of my ignorance, is the amyloid beta confirmation? Uh, you talk about it as as an ongoing monitoring. Is it also a rate limiting factor in in who gets the, who would get the drug if it were approved? Usually, PET scan data will tend to um, determine candidacy for it. Um, in the absence of or in the with limited clinical signs, early patients early in their course of disease will demonstrate different sets of biomarkers, one of which can be monitored by PET scanning to predict their prospects for receiving the drug. We just heard about Eli Lilly and, and Biogen status. Lilly might have a registrational product. Biogen's product, obviously, is before the FDA. And a couple of others are coming down the pipeline. Uh, Roche has a, has a similar candidate as mm-hmm. does Azi in this uh, category of plaquebusters. Uh, I think those two are due out possibly in, in 2022. Uh, can you kind of give us an inkling on how they're shaping up and what the competitive landscape uh, could look uh, in this in this area? Yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged by the uh, multi-pronged ap- approaches, and certainly the devil will be in the details of the mature data that we hear at the Congresses, but I think uh, each have the opportunity now to show incremental pre-pivotal data that encourage well-conducted pivotal trials that hopefully are not subjected to the unusual premature termination that we saw in the aducanumab trial and the like. Uh, you know, we sort of need to learn from the aducanumab experience and, and thus let these trials play out um, if in the absence of clear harm. But um, I mean, I'm encouraged by the, the Lilly data. And um, not only are we seeing these uh, anti-amyloid agents uh, move forward, but we're going to see anti-tau agents forward as well as we um, better understand the biology and how to tra- uh, translate biology into uh, uh, medical prowess. Would you say then that um, the biopharma industry is slowly cracking the code um, on Alzheimer's disease, as, as I saw one analyst put it in, in a recent uh, investor note? 
Yeah, I believe, you know, the industry is definitely making tremendous strides. You know, we've gone from crude amyloid and tau to very nuanced targeting along both the biochemical pathways and at the level of the discrete molecules themselves. Uh, it's, you know, very encouraging and it you know, demonstrates the power and commitment of the industry and its intellectual and tertiary care collaborations. You know, the disappointments along the way I think of as necessary obstacles to further understanding and uh, valuable innovation. How should pharma marketers approach this evolving category? My biggest consideration would be stay the course. And, you know, remember this is a massive undertaking and medicine will catch up with the evolving science, much in the same way it did and really is still doing in the days, months, and even years leading up to important medicines like statins for coronary artery disease. So, you know, look how, how far we've come there. All right. Well, um, you know, as, as you said so eloquently, these anti-amyloid agents are moving forward, you know, as well as uh, anti-tau. Uh, seems like neuroscience is really making strides. And uh, the unmet need, of course, in Alzheimer's uh, disease is, is quite high. So these, these trials will help hopefully definitively answer that question of whether plaque reduction truly leads to cognitive benefit and whether we could have an effective and safe treatment for the millions of people out there who suffer from this disease. So thank you so much for helping uh, our audience uh, you know, make, make sense of this evolving category. It's my pleasure, Mark. Thank you for having me. Of course, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time uh, for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, please give it a like. Please subscribe to our channel and help others discover the show. That'll do it for another episode of the MMM podcast for uh, Dr. Henderson McLennan. This has been Mark Iskowitz signing off. We'll see you next time on the MMM podcast. Take care, everybody. Thank you.